Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. This week, I'm bringing you the first of my conversations with two sisters who've shared a similar globe-spanning bicultural upbringing. Ithar Baba is the youngest of a family of six Sudanese-American children who all split their time between their parents' hometown of Khartoum and Washington, D.C. Moving back and forth between cultures during her childhood caused some problems, making her feel sometimes like she didn't fit in either place. It wasn't until she got to college where she was able to accept and begin to integrate her two identities. Ironically, it's only been since she started living in China, where she picked up an insatiable travel bug, that she's been able to finally get a sense of where home is in in all of that. For now, anyway. Just a quick note about the audio. This episode was recorded live at Beijing's legendary expat hangout, The Local, in front of a group of people who had come out for the monthly podcast brunch club meetup, which is why you hear some glasses being clinked and dishes being moved about in the background. To learn more about Podcast Brunch Club, which is basically like a book club but for podcasts, and to hear what a meetup sounds like, scroll back a few episodes in my feed and check out the bonus episode from late June, which was recorded at that month's meetup. But for now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Ithar Baba. Ithar Baba, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thank you so much for having me. Where is home? All right. Uh, I'm going to try to give this my best go. You didn't prepare? (laughs) Did not do my homework. Um, It's it's especially hard for me to answer because for me, it's it's usually a constant, basically, not struggle, but a question of if it's Sudan, where I'm originally from and spent most of my life, or the U.S., where I lived my kind of formative years and... It's funny because I'm in neither now. <laughs> Being in Beijing, it's like, oh, let's not worry about that for now. Just let's be here for now. <laughs> so do you have a, a place that you right now think is home? Yeah, I do. Um, Khartoum, Sudan. That's that's right now, especially with you know some stuff that's happening there right now that feels like home to me. But my parents are in the Washington, D.C. area. So when I think of going home, I'm thinking of going to the Washington, D.C. area, but home, home in my heart is in Sudan. Okay. How did you get from Sudan to Washington, D.C.? Uh, so it goes, it goes back a long time before I was even born. Uh, in the 70s, my parents emigrated from Sudan to the U.S., and ever since then, they've been going back and forth every few years. And when I was born, I was born in Sudan, and a few years later we went back to the U.S., and then we went back to Sudan. Basically, since I, since I was born, all I've ever known was moving between the two countries. Hmm. And how long, was, was it pretty evenly split, your time between Sudan and, and the U.S.? Yeah, it, it, it was, especially growing up. Uh, I spent, I guess, from, from kindergarten, well, I did kindergarten in Sudan, and then first grade to fourth grade of elementary school in the U.S., and fifth grade, well, maybe not so split, so fifth grade all the way until university in Sudan. Wow. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and then I I even started university in Sudan, but then I transferred, I moved back to the U.S. for university. Wow, that's... That's quite a lot of boomeranging back and forth. <laughs> now, did was it a situation where you you felt kind of out of place in both environments, or did you feel 
you feel at home in both places after like, like basically I want to know, did you feel bad and it forced you to fit in or did you just <laughs> naturally feel like you fit in, but in a weird way? That's a really good question, actually. So not going to lie at times, especially when I was younger, when I was a child, it felt like I didn't fit in in either one because first grade of elementary school, when we went to the U.S., I didn't know English. And I had to learn English and it was hard, you know, being in first and second grade and not knowing any English. So it felt like I didn't fit in there. And then two years later, after I learned English and I forgot all the Arabic, <laughs> we moved back to Sudan. So there I was not knowing the language really, but it just, it was easier than being in the U.S. and not knowing the language because my family's there, like my grandma's there, like all my cousins. And it was easier, but I guess... When I was a child, up until maybe university, it just felt like I didn't really fit in anywhere, neither Sudan nor the U.S. And after university is where I kind of accepted both identities and started, you know, fitting in here and there. Hmm. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm interested in this idea of what you're describing to me sounds like a TCK experience, but <laughs> but you weren't actually living in a third culture. You were actually living in the culture of your, you know, your your adopted homeland yeah. in the U.S. And then you're also living in your parents' culture. Yet right. you were having this TCK experience in both of your quote home cultures. It's fascinating. I still, it's still, it's still like you know, I still not struggle with it, but it still comes across my mind almost day to day. Like, do I feel more American? Do I feel more Sudanese? Sometimes I feel this way and sometimes I feel the other way. Like, I will say that you present as American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot every time. They're like, oh, where are you from? And then I would say Sudan. They're like, where are you really from? <laughs> or like they would just have a pause. I'm like, well, I lived in the U.S. for a long time. It's I guess it's the accent because, you know, when I moved back to Sudan in uh, fifth grade, we were in English schools, which I'm really thankful for because it, you know, maintained both languages. We were in English schools and you never really drop the accent once you learn it in a language. So how big is your family, your immediate family? Uh, all right. So there are six of us. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Good Irish Catholic family. <laughs> I'm one of six. You'd fit in well in New England. <laughs> and um, I have two nieces. Two nieces. Yeah. So did you all grow up going back and forth or were there any kind of separation type of thing where like, oh, you're, you went back and forth a lot, but one of your siblings was always in the U.S., that type of thing? Yeah, that's, that's funny that you mentioned it. I just, it just brought, brought back a memory that I haven't thought of in a long time because there is an age difference. The, the age difference between me and um, the oldest, my sister, is 16 years so when we were kids, the, the younger three, when we were kids and moving back to Sudan in 2001 with my family, they were already adults. So they were established in the U.S. doing their thing. So, yeah, the three, of, the three oldest ones stayed in the U.S. while the three younger ones went to Sudan. And I remember, um, oh, it was early 2011, so they were, like, in the gate with us, like, to say goodbye <laughs> when they could still go inside. And I remember my sister saying bye to me, and I had this teddy bear that I just stuffed in my face, and I started crying. And I was like, well, why are we separating? We're, we're a family. <laughs> so yeah, there were some separations. And I mean, now we're separated more than ever. But you know, we're, we're adults now. Yeah, yeah. I, does that, do you notice any different dynamics among your siblings? Like some of them are maybe not 
quote, as Sudanese as you or don't have, do you see any kind of identity issues that are different between yourself and your siblings? Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, none of them have ever left to live in China, for example. <laughs> so there's that. We haven't even got to that for you yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I do feel definitely more Western than the rest of my siblings, uh, especially the one, well, I guess right now there's only one who actually lives in Sudan. He's, you know, he's the most Sudanese, most like, you know, traditional one kind of, whereas my other brother, the one that's directly older than I am, has lived in America most of his life, free-spirited, like totally westernized. So yeah, we there's a, there's a very broad spectrum. Hmm. Must make for some interesting holiday gatherings. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to be able to record that. That'd be cool. Actually, two months ago was um, the first time in eleven years that we were all together in like in one place. Wow! Yeah, it was, it was super interesting. Is that unusual for I? I, I, I guess I, you know I know from when I was growing up, like my, my family was pretty darn big. My mother's one of eight. Her mother was one of eight. It's a huge family, right? But everyone lived pretty close together. So all the holidays, people would get together pretty regularly. Is So if you have a big family in Sudan, I would imagine people stay relatively close together. I mean, that's going to be true pretty much anywhere. So how does that like, – I guess I'm saying your family dynamic sounds actually different from what it would be like if you were all in Sudan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> And and do you find that you notice the dif- you notice that difference in your family like when you're back? Do do you feel like does that feel like another one of those cultural differences that you just have kind of foisted upon you? Yeah, for sure. Like even even in Sudan, like the 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 family holidays and stuff, the religious holidays, everyone is there at my grandma's house. Like dozens and dozens of us <laughs> so you know for them too it it must be weird well actually right now more my generation they're more you know they immigrated to like you know the the middle east and stuff so it's becoming more normal now but i bet a long time ago it was pretty weird to you know not all be together for 10 years at a time and mm. stuff like that yeah so how did you end up how did a nice girl from khartoum in dc end up in a place like Beijing. Uh, what's, a, what's a girl like you doing in a place like this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all the gin joints in all the world. <laughs> so um, in 2016, a few months after I graduated university in the U.S., I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. I was, you know, fresh out of college. I'm like, all right, starting the American dream. And gonna get a stable job and I just I just wasn't feeling it I, I'm out of college almost 20 years and I'm just figuring it out <laughs> I mean come on I didn't know what I wanted to do so I went back to Sudan actually for a few months um, some weddings just hanging out in general and then when I got back to the US I I had this new perspective you know and I think a lot of my cousins because like you know they they would do a lot to go to the US and like live there that gave me a new perspective and a new appreciation for what I have and so I was ready. I was ready to settle down, nine to five job in like the DC area. And nope, did not, did not happen. <laughs> and out of the blue one day, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine from Sudan who lived in England, she messaged me. She's like, hey, um, by the way, do you want to go to China for this job? <laughs> and before then, mind you, I'd never been outside of Sudan in the US. 
So it was such a foreign idea to me. Like I laughed the first time I told my parents about it, they literally laughed out loud. <laughs> like yeah. in my culture, uh, you don't really have like unmarried women just traveling on their own. So it was really big for them. But eventually they did come around and, you know, she was like, yeah, it's just an opportunity to like teach English, make some money, you know, see a new place. And literally a week later, at that point, I still hadn't even gotten my U.S. passport yet because we were moving back and forth so much. And within a week, I got my passport, got my visa. I was on a plane to Beijing and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Yeah, wow. and here, here I am. You're well, still here. I left and came back, but here yeah. I am. You're still here. How did that happen? Uh, I met a guy. Oh. <laughs> um, so funny story. Actually, I was I was vegetarian for seven years. Seven years, hard vegetarian, not a single cheat day. And we were here, and my friends were going to you know this place called the local, and they're like, we're going for a chicken wing eating contest. And me being a strict vegetarian, I was like, oh, I'll just go with you, I guess, for fun. But I'm not like, of course, I'm not going to eat any. So we come here and my friends order an unholy amount of chicken wings. Like I've never seen since then that many chicken wings in one place. And I don't know, I saw I saw this guy that works there and a friend of mine who was sitting right next to me, Jenna, happened to, thank you, Jenna, happened to know the guy who works there and you know, I was just talking and stuff. And I don't know if what I did next had anything to do with like this guy that I'm kind of crushing on. But I look at her plate and I take a chicken wing and I eat it. Whoa. Swear to God, after seven years. And then I just like, you know, sorry because you're 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 not a the biggest chicken fan. <laughs> I was quite the fan of chicken when I ate meat. I mean, my I, it doesn't offend me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So I I ordered some chicken and I had a lot of chicken and I have people still living in Beijing, friends who can attest to this. And that night I won the wing eating contest that they were holding. <laughs> Probably the first vegetarian to ever win. I guess I had that hunger. Yeah. It was like a shark that like got a whiff of blood and like my eyes started rolling and stuff. But and yeah, I guess he was impressed. And then we just ended up like, you know, talking for like hours and hours and hours. And at that point, I was set to leave Beijing, you know, for for good uh, in three weeks. But I, I, I knew what I wanted. I know I wanted to be with him and. That night I went back home and I had the longest, most awkward, hardest conversation with my long distance boyfriend. Oh no. Yeah. But this yeah. Is, that's like the plot of one of those like teen movies on Netflix. It's fantastic. <laughs> you got to live one of those movies. You know, I feel the same way. I got, uh, you know, my, my wife, we met six weeks before I moved to Beijing. And, and I had known I was moving to China for like two and a half years wow. almost. And I knew I was leaving and I'd quit my, I think I, I don't know if I'd actually quit my job at that point. No, I hadn't quit my job at that point. But um, I met her. She was traveling across country and she, you know, was passing through Boston mm. on her way. And I was giving these free tours of downtown because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nerd <laughs> and I like to show off how much. Yes, you are. <laughs> thank you. I like to show off how much useless knowledge is in my brain. And I would, you know, give these tours and she came on one of the tours and I noticed her and, you know, we got to talking and we hung out 
a little bit with some friends. It was the Fourth of July, and then she left town, and I said, yeah, "I really like that girl. I want to. I want her. You know." So I went back to work after the Fourth of July holiday, and a buddy of mine just happened to have two extra tickets to a concert uh, north of Boston. Uh, was these two bands, the Mighty Mighty Boston's and the Dropkick Murphys, Super Boston, <laughs> and they were playing in a baseball park, a minor league baseball park, about a little less than halfway in between Boston and the next city she had gone to, which was Portland, Maine, and. I just shot her a text message. Said, hey, I got this extra <laughs> ticket. I'm going. Uh, do you want to come down and meet me halfway and we'll hang out for a day or two? And she said yes. And, you know, I fell for her that weekend. And wow. it, it was kind of like a summer camp romance because I was leaving in a month. And yeah. she she it's had always, just... It's always when you're leaving. <laughs> I know. and But, you know, we got very lucky. We stayed in touch and... You know, we both had our own relationships and jobs and whatever. And just so happened that I broke up with my previous girlfriend about the same time she broke up with the guy she was seeing mm-hmm. and she was leaving her job and yeah. she was looking to move somewhere else. And I said, well, you know, you want to try it out and see how it goes. You can come to Beijing. Oh, she said, yes. You and, Beijing guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like Venice here like this, or Paris or something. But yeah, so I've kind of been on the flip side of what you're talking about. Mm. I've been the guy in that scenario, and from the it puts a lot of pressure on you. Like, in addition to all the identity stuff you're going through, you're not thinking about that consciously. Right. Then there's this added thing of this other person is making a massive life choice, really because of you. I mean, there's really no yeah. way around it. You know, uh, you know, it could be the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> like, oh, I'm thinking about moving moving yeah. overseas, and oh, there's a guy I like. I'll just go and do it. I guess. No, this is like, this guy I'm interested in lives over here. If we want to do something together, I've got to go there. Halfway across the world. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, that's an interesting dynamic to have a relationship in because you're both dealing with issues of identity, not always on the surface, but you are who you are, but you're in this environment and it's different from who you are when you were back home. And are you conscious of that? And it brings things in the stark relief. Like when I, you know, my, my wife and I, we will have conversations and we will notice in each other like, oh, I'm not like that anymore. I used to do things mm-hmm. that way and I don't need more. <laughs> and it's like, is that something about me that's changed or is it the environment? Like I'm changing in? together. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really kind of interesting. Do you, do you notice, um, and you're in you're, you're in this foreigner relationship in, a, in, in China. Do you notice things about you that have changed just because you've been here and you're in a relationship? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Some some things are like some things are really minor, which you know don't really pay attention to. But there are other things where, honestly, at first when I did decide to come back to China for him, I I didn't see myself being back here for more than a year, and it's been. It's been almost two years now, and I'm like, yeah, we'll probably stay here for another three or four years. <laughs> like, I got that Beijing bug. Oh, yeah. I'm like, why, why, why leave? He's he's been here for. I mean, you you've known him a lot more long uh, a lot longer than I have. Yeah, he was my friend years. first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, he's been here for I think 21 years, 20 or 21 years. And when I first met him, there was no way I could even imagine living here for that long. And right now I'm like, yeah, well, why not? You know, five years turns into 10, 10 years turns into 15. I mean, Beijing is, it's funny, sometimes I feel like it's a really inconvenient city, but sometimes I feel like it's very, very convenient. Like, 
I don't know, like you can do anything. Like it's, it, it, I don't know. It just feels like sometimes it's more free. I want to say. Well, yeah. When you're a foreigner, there's a lot of privilege, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, <laughs> right. it's intoxicating. Hi, everyone. Want to hear more about the migrant lifestyle? I'm Michelle Ibarra, and I want to give you the tools to live your best life overseas over at my podcast, Pop Abroad. Season one is all about global communities and the people who have created and nurtured them. Pop Abroad is also part of the Migration Media Network. You can find Pop Abroad at migrationmedia.net or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, I want to touch on something you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. You, You thought, oh, maybe I'll live here for one year or whatever. What made you think that you might not want to maybe that's not the right way to ask it but i'm just thinking about your upbringing Mm. you were trans transferring between cities and contexts a lot so being able to move to a different place it sounds like it would be easier for you and like the idea of just living in any random city for the foreseeable future would be no big deal for you like what was the thought process like oh maybe a year and then you're like oh i'm surprised that i'm okay to stay a long time (laughs) oh you mean like what initially made me think that i wouldn't want to for longer yeah and why does it feel like a surprise that oh maybe two or three or four mm, years is fine yeah now i got the question Mm. (laughs) um it's funny I, i would have never thought about it until you asked me right now but i guess it's that thing that like after graduating university I wanted to like be an adult in America and I've never really experienced that. I've never experienced like, you know, being an adult and having an adult job in America. So I really, I really want to experience that. That wasn't the right time then a few years ago when I just graduated, but I do want to, I do want to live some of my adult life in America. That's interesting. I I really like America. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're American. I'm glad you like America. Yes. Um, that's actually interesting. I've never, I mean, obviously I only grew up where I grew up and I have no connection to, you know, my ancestry from overseas is seven generations. Where did you grow up again? I couldn't, I can't can't tell. Oh, oh, (laughs) well, well, let me just show you my shirt. It says Boston on there. Yeah. Yeah. I was teasing uh, Mike earlier about how at any given time he has some Boston thing, a shirt, a hat. Something, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> always a jacket, always, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, we were kind of going through my closet, our closets, and we're kind of downsizing. And I have plenty of stuff I'm getting rid of, no problem. Old pants that I don't wear, old shoes that I don't wear, old shirts I don't wear. <laughs> but every single piece of Boston paraphernalia, <laughs> jackets, T-shirts, Can't do it. Rick shirts, they are all staying. Like, none of them get tossed. You should make, like, a quilt. Some yeah. Make quilts out of old stuff. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything stays. Even if I don't wear it, maybe I'll frame it. <laughs> maybe I need more cartoon stuff. I was about, to, I was about to ask you that. Like, do you have any... Like, when I said earlier you present as American, like, I... I, I mean, I mean that. Like, you don't yeah. you don't wear a headscarf. You don't wear any traditional, like, any African kind of dress at all. Like, there's no externality of you yeah. that shows that you are not American. And I'm wondering oh, if that's a conscious that. choice or not. It's definitely not a conscious choice because I guess I never really noticed it until now. I mean, I don't have, like, American stuff either. Just college stuff because of college. Like, UNC. And, you know, Beijing stuff because it's it's fun to be, like, an American wearing a hat that says Beijing in Chinese. Yeah, and, I love you that. You know, it's, it's just fun. But I'm like, always looking have... for, like, Boston sports stuff that's written in Chinese. Yeah. I'm always looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> I do have an American flag scarf that I wore to my... Um, 
natural uh sorry neutralization naturalization 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 ceremony see i still still have some english words that are like not not quite tuned right but um but yeah i don't have a lot of i need a sudanese flag thing i have one like sudan t-shirt but it's 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 to like recent um recent you know protests and stuff that's happening in sudan but no, it's not. It's not a conscious effort. And the the headscarf thing, it's 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 just a personal. It's not like I'm against it or anything. But like my sister wears it, and I don't wear it. It's just a it's just a personal like preference, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it's funny. Uh, some people. Well, I mean, you see around here in Beijing, there are people from all around the world here. So you actually see different levels of the headscarf wearing. You see the right. people with the full-on, <laughs> I mean, the full-on burqas. You see people with just the hijab, you see just the just the light scarf, kind of the Iranian style, where it's half covering the head, which yeah. I think is gorgeous, by the way. I love and that. Sometimes style. you see in like, because uh, there are so many uh, Muslim restaurants here. The, because it's like convenient for work, they just like tie it around their head, and you know they're wearing like short sleeves and stuff. Yeah, exactly, work. exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love the variety you see here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny because growing up in Boston, uh, in case you forgot, that's where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> growing up in Boston, it's an Irish Catholic kind of town. Yeah, it's you know not so much anymore. Well, it's still the whole region is it's plenty of Irish, but. I grew up going to St. Patrick's Day. I'm seven generations removed from my Irish roots. I mean, the, 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 we have the pictures of the people who came over in the 1850s. But wow. St. Patrick's Day? You own it. Oh, my God. It's just crazy. <laughs> like, there's plenty of people who are just doing it because it's, you know, oh, we're drinking, whatever. Yeah. But I remember when I was growing up, that was the days of the IRA, and you had the, quote, Northern Ireland, Ireland Orphans Fund, in air mm, quotes, yeah. that would have you know, upfloat and people collecting money and everyone knew it was a slush fund for the IRA. <laughs> everyone knew. But the people dumping in money. People you know. still did it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like there's always this um this connection through what you wear, bumper stickers, hats. I mean people wear scally caps. Like the, you know it's this What's a scally cap? It's this kind of like imagine a baseball cap, but instead of the top being up like this, it's like folded down. Interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of like a folded down baseball cap where huh. the brim do you ever see the show Peaky Blinders? Yeah. So imagine a Peaky Blinder, okay. but not as like poofy on the top, mm -hmm. much more angular and straight down. I actually so. just learned about the Peaky Blinders caps or they would have like razor blades yes. inside of them like two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyways, but yeah, we, you know, there's a very, you know, when I go back to Boston, I mentioned this, on, you know, when I chatted with uh, my friend Virginia when, um, back God, like 20 episodes ago. But when I got back to Boston for her wedding, we were visiting just for a few days. There's this like thing that happens. The accent comes out, right? <laughs> but also, you think I wear a lot of Boston stuff? Everyone does. Like it's all, more? It, well, not, I wouldn't say more, but there's just everyone does it. A sea of Boston it's gear. It's a sea of Boston gear. You're like, oh, these are my people. And it's like we're wearing tribal gear. <laughs> so I guess what I want to ask is when you go to Sudan, do you look more... Do you like have the, is the attire more blending in yeah, or, or because, is there a blending in? Yeah, because I kind of, I kind of have to, to be mm. honest, in Sudan. Like what I'm wearing right now, uh, jeans and long jeans and a t-shirt, totally normal to you, but I can't really wear this in Sudan. Stick out like a, 
that's a metaphor. Sore thumb. Like a sore thumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't really wear that in Sudan. So like, honestly, not just because I have to, but out of respect for the culture. And obviously I'm not a visitor to there, but if I'm visiting somewhere, I will, you know, adhere to what they do and how they like things within reason. So in Sudan, I do wear a headscarf, maybe not all the way around my hair covering it, but I do wear a like partial coverage. You can get away with the loose fitting kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are also, like we were saying here, there are degrees. There are degrees in Sudan, just not, I guess, not as broad of a spectrum. But I do fit in just... For one, because it's, you know, I want to fit in. And number two is I just want to, you know, be respectful. And, you know, when in Rome. Do you feel a sense of pride with that? Like, I know when I go back, I'm projecting now. I'm projecting on you (laughs) and I'm trying to get validation. But I mean, I'm just guess I'm trying to relate also. Like, when I go back home, it's very affirming for me. Like, oh, this is who I am. Yeah. This is where who I I can't live there like I I know I can't live there but when I go back it's very much a oh this is where all that stuff that's within me comes from no for sure yeah 100% when I'm there I'll probably like like what you were saying like the Boston accent comes out like Mm -hmm. if we were doing this recording in Khartoum like I think I would be speaking differently too yeah I was gonna ask about that too Yeah. yeah And, you know, it's just, it's nice. It, like, it feels like I belong. It feels like, you know, these are my people. And even though, like you said, I wouldn't live there, it just feels like that's where, that's where I belong. That's where I am. That's where, like, that's, that's my comfort place. So your roots are. Yeah, that's yeah. where my roots are. Good, I, I, I often think about that with us, and more I mean us, people who live overseas, like we do, is how much of that is necessary and how much of it is individual. So... I feel a need to go back maybe once a year. Mm. I, I I often talk about how if I could, if there was magic teleportation machine, I would like to go back like two long weekends a year, like maybe <laughs> five or six days. Patriot's Day weekend in mid-April for the Boston Marathon and then like a we- random weekend in October, you know, Columbus Day. Why weekend. October? Apple picking, football, but it's not too cold yet. Leaves are turning. That's Sam Adams Fol- there, correct? Yeah, yeah, Sam Adams is from there, yes. Um, so that's... That's kind of like the quintessential times to mm. be there and everyone's decked out in all their Boston stuff, right? You know, like, <laughs> especially the marathon weekend. Yeah. And it's like you get that affirmation and you get the taste of it and you kind of remind yourself, oh, yeah, this is where, this is who I am and this is why I am the way I am. And then you can get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. It's the way I feel. Yeah. yeah. For, I wonder how, visits. yeah, I wonder how much of that is common amongst us. Uh, judging by like how many how many foreigners you see going back as often as they do, I think and and the same people who go back like sometimes twice a year who would say I can never see myself living back home. And then when they come back from being back home, they're like, oh my god, like I met up with my high school friends or it was with my so college great. friends, and it was so great. But oh my god, they're still where they are. Yes, that's a that's a big thing that comes up with uh, with Lawai like going back home. They're like they're still where where they are. They haven't left our small town, and it really scares me. And I can never live there again. Yeah, but they would die if they didn't go there every year. Yes, yeah. that's a real interesting dichotomy that we have. I, I have to. I really have to explore a lot more of that. That's that's something <laughs> that comes up a lot. So I want to move on a little bit because. Okay. So just like you were back and forth between Khartoum and D.C., and then you had this weird feeling like, oh, I guess I could be in Beijing, which is odd that it would feel strange because you were in other yeah. cities. Now, they, you can't stay in one place. 
account. You are all over the place. I cannot. Like, what has brought that on? And when did that start? Oh, I caught the Who showed you how to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn that? Um, What bad influence? I... First of all, how many places have you been to now? Countries? Yeah. 35. So after after up until 2016, <laughs> yes. you have never been anywhere except Khartoum in DC. Crazy. Then you come to Beijing and now you've been to 35 countries. Because in Beijing you can go to South Korea for the weekend. You can go to like Myanmar for a couple of days. It was so easy and it just gave me this addiction and once I started, I just couldn't stop. Like in January, I went to Brunei, and before before 2016, I honestly I love geography and stuff, but I couldn't even like I probably wouldn't have been able to locate it on a map, like Brunei. And then I was there two months ago, and it was amazing, and I got to learn so many things. And like these locals were telling me about how great their sultan is, and I went to the museum, like, and they had like portraits of him made out of real diamonds, and it was just stuff that I can't imagine, like, missing out on. How can I like just stay in one place when there's so much new stuff to see, when there's so many different people with different cultures, with different traditions, different habits, different ways of saying thank you, like. I can't. I, I, I can't. I can't just stay in one place. I have to see it all. Gotta, gotta catch them all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what it sounds like to me is maybe that, oh, I could stay in Beijing for three or four more years might only partially be a Beijing thing. And it might also be that, oh, this is a huge international hub with cheap yeah. flights to everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, went to, I went to Australia for the first time a couple of years ago, and it was amazing. And living in America, I probably wouldn't have. Right. And I have family there. I have three three of my mom's uh, sisters live there, and my cousins, who like I'm I'm close to. And I probably wouldn't have just because of like America, and like it's it's just it's also really easy to get lost within America and not not really go anywhere else. But yeah, you're you're one hundred percent right. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's about forty forty percent of why Beijing is, you know maybe that's why I said it was convenient. Yeah. And yeah, it's just nothing so wrong easy with that. And it's it's nice to it's nice to be somewhere where you can do that. It's, it's such a big hub, it's crazy. So you've talked a little bit about like how much you learn as you travel. This is obviously another facet of your identity that is kind of woken up. Like you had the Sudanese American dual thing going on. Mm-hmm. Then you had a bit of an expat thing going on when you got here. Yeah. And now you've got this globe trotting type of thing going on. What is this? How does this make you feel about yourself or have you discovered things about yourself as you've started doing this new thing, which is traveling all over the place? Uh, discovering new things about myself. It, it just, uh, it discovered me. That's me, like, I think, using Arabic grammar. <laughs> it, uh, it made me discover that, basically, I can adapt mm. to a lot of things. Like, sometimes when I travel, I do it rough, like, not rough, like, hostile rough. Rough, like, you know, I stayed in one time, like, a 36-bed female dorm. It looked like a hospital, but it was one of the best times ever. <laughs> it was in an island in uh, Thailand, and... I was like, there was no air conditioning. It was, there were, there were like mosquitoes everywhere. And there were 30, 30 something other people in the same room. 
And I was like, this is, this is nice. I'm having a good time. <laughs> it was like a little community, you know? And I was like, girls from everywhere. Like, there were German girls. There were girls from, um, it was my first time hearing about uh, St. Saint, Saint Kitts and Nevis. Sure. So, you know, small country. But it was my first time hearing about the country. And this girl was telling me all about it. And I was like, this is amazing. I would take this over a hotel anytime. So it made me realize that I can, I, I can really adapt. To stuff yeah mm. to different different conditions it sound it, it really does sound like you've kind of had these different identity phases yeah. and i'm like really curious as to what to see what's going to come like when you run out of countries what will come next <laughs> <laughs> when the globe trotting thing runs its course what will there be after that homebody maybe you'll be a homebody maybe that would be fascinating huh. to, to, honestly i can see it like you've got you've swung to so many extremes at this point and then what's next what's next gotta I be sitting at home all. all the time yeah <laughs> Find a nice island, kick back, and just hang out all day. <laughs> nice island. Yeah, I like that. Maybe I will to uh, New Zealand. I want to live in New Zealand. Everyone wants to live in New Zealand. <laughs> That's the thing. Everyone wants to live in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds so great. Yeah. Well, Itar Baba, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and sitting down and sharing your story with me. Oh, let's talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it. Please check out the show notes for links to more information about my guest and to reach out with questions, feedback, and interview suggestions. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave us a like on your favorite podcatcher. Migratory Patterns is a production of Migration Media and is executive produced by me. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.